Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to gather with you in worship of our Savior who gives sight to the blind and and brings good news to the poor. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Kelton. I have the the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here of Stafford Baptist Church. Please, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Today we pick up our series, Kingdom Come, as we continue through the the book of Matthew, Matthew 11, verses 2 through 19, what did you expect? You know, it's appropriate for us to jump back into the, the book of Matthew after finishing the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Matthew begins his account of Jesus in Matthew 1, one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is explicitly calling our attention to the fact that this Jesus is the promised son of Abraham, the one who would bring blessing to all nations. Well, before we read of this promised son of Abraham this morning, let's pray once more for our hearing and for the proclaiming of of God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, who made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or Sing or blind, is it not you, O Lord? Give your servant words to speak your truth. We pray, Father, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you and what is the hope you have called us to. Help us better understand who Jesus is and why he came for our everlasting joy and for your glory we pray this in his name. Amen. Can you remember the last time you were disappointed? The last time you were disappointed, a time you had high or or maybe even just realistic hopes that weren't met. You might think of a, a new movie that was hyped but didn't live up. Or a restaurant that had rave reviews but was just ho hum. Or maybe a vacation spot that ended up being a dud. I read a a one-star Yelp review of the Grand Canyon this week, more like Mediocre Canyon. Uh, Yosemite got this one, trees block view and there are too many gray rocks. You, You have to wonder, the people who left those reviews, what were they expecting? How many gray rocks exactly were you expecting to see at Yosemite? Well, unmet expectations can leave us more than disappointed when it's more than just a a vacation spot. They can leave us feeling hurt. They can lead to doubts. Trust can be broken. Well, how about Jesus, friends? What do you expect of, of Him? How have you been disappointed in life because following Jesus hasn't been what you've hoped? And what are you to deal with those, how are you to deal with those doubts as they, as they come? In our sermon text this morning, John the Baptist expresses his doubts. In prison, he's hearing reports of what Jesus was up to, and he asks, maybe should we be expecting someone else? Maybe he isn't the one he thought he'd be. But Jesus, in response to John's doubts, affirms that yes, he is the one. 
that he brings in a new era, the, the kingdom of heaven. It might not be like the kingdoms of this world, but it is all that we have been hoping for. Let's read Matthew 11, verses 2 through 19. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The main idea of our text this morning, our our one sentence summary is this. Despite doubts, receive Jesus as the prophesied coming king. Despite doubts, receive Jesus as the prophesied coming king. Jesus might not be exactly what John was expecting, but, but in fact he's better than what he was hoping for. And the call for us who who read this this morning is to receive Jesus as the fulfillment of all the hopes of God's people. Despite doubts, receive Jesus as the prophesied coming King. We'll have three points this morning. First, Jesus is different than you expect, that in verses 2 through 6. Second, Jesus is the start of something greater, that in verses 7 through 15. And finally, Jesus is rejected in verses 16 through 19. Jesus is different than you expect. Jesus is the start of something greater. And Jesus is rejected. Let's start back in verse 2. Our first point, Jesus is different than you expect. The story starts here in in verse 2 with John in prison. So it'll help us to have a, a review who this John is, what he's about. You might remember in Luke... 
When, when Mary visited John's mother, Elizabeth, what did John do? John leapt in his mother's womb. Even before this John was born, he was anticipating the arrival of Jesus. John spent most of his life in the wilderness proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, calling people to repent, to get ready. John himself understood that he was fulfilling the prophecies of, of Isaiah, of Malachi, a voice in the wilderness, making ready, making straight the way of the Lord. So when Jesus finally shows up on the scene and no one else has a clue who this man is, John already announces, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 12, announces that, that Jesus has, holds a winnowing fork in His hand. That's a fork for, for clearing the chaff from the wheat. Jesus, John expected, would clear His threshing floor and gather His wheat into the barn, but the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. From the beginning, John is expecting Jesus to come with judgment. Well, and after his short ministry, John himself recognizes he must increase. I must decrease. And in fact, Jesus' public ministry really begins when John's ends. He is thrown into prison by the local Roman authority, Herod. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and 17, Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And from that time he began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, here, chapter 11, John is still in prison. And in prison he is hearing report of the deeds of Jesus. All of what Matthew has been relating to us in his gospel from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 10. So John, hearing in prison of the deeds of Jesus, sends a message by his disciples and asks a question there in verse 3. Look at it again with me. Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? What a surprising question. Coming from the one who had declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Listen to John's words himself recorded for us in the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 32. This is around Jesus' baptism. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him, that is Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water sent me. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I, John says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Did you hear that? John said back before he was in prison, when, when Jesus was first coming on the scene, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And now, Matthew eleven three, are Are you the one who is to come, or, or shall we look for another? What happened, John? Some people think this question is so odd that he must be asking on behalf of his disciples. You know, John obviously knows the answer. Yes, yes, he's the one to come. But he wants others to know, so he sends a message. 
possible. But I think that's avoiding what the text says. John heard. John sent word. And Jesus tells his disciples to go and tell John. This is John's honest question. It's not a a hostile question, just uncertain. Is this John's one-star review of the Grand Canyon? What he expected to be grand, he finds just mediocre. He's wondering if he got things wrong. Let's, let's have some compassion on John. He's sitting in prison. We learn later that he was arrested for speaking truth against power. He condemned the, the governor's uh, illicit marriage to his brother's wife. Based on his question here in Matthew 11, I think John was expecting something different for his life and for the ministry of, of Jesus. I, I think he was expecting Jesus to come in guns blazing, so to speak. Remember what John said of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand. John was, I I think, expecting Jesus to come in to bring immediate judgment. To gather the wheat in now. To burn the chaff now. But here he is, sitting in prison. And what does he hear of Jesus? But that he is teaching and healing. Teaching and healing. No judgment. Was I wrong about you, Jesus? Why am I in prison? Where is the fire? I think he was expecting something a bit more messianic in his view, a bit more judgmental. Well, Jesus tells John's disciples in verses 4 through 6 what to report to John. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus tells them to go exactly tell what what Jesus has been doing. Reported by Matthew. Remember, he he gave sight to the blind, the the two blind men in in Matthew 9.30. He healed the lame man in in 9.6. He raised the dead daughter in 9.25, he, he preached good news to the poor in his Sermon on the Mount, calling the poor blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is exactly what Jesus has been doing. But more than just a report of what he's been doing, Jesus is referring to what the Old Testament has prophesied about him. We opened up our service today with a reading from Isaiah 35. Where it said, the eyes of the blind being opened, right? The the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man leaping, and more. Jesus is saying here that he is fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy of the coming one, the glory of the Lord seen. Well, it's it's crystal clear here in this report that, that Jesus is the coming one. That he is the expected one. No, John... Don't look for another. I wonder if you noticed that when we read Isaiah 35 in context, what it also predicted. Not just that the lame would be healed, but in verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. 
I think that was probably John's favorite verse in the reading. I can imagine John being that one anxious in heart, in prison, receiving comfort from this. You know, John had had a, a faithful ministry, but now he's just wasting away behind bars. Yes, you can imagine him thinking, God comes with vengeance. He's going to come. He's going to save me. Jesus, I'm ready. Judge Herod, rescue me. And though in the ministry of Jesus, John sees all the miracles of Isaiah 35, where is the vengeance? Where's the recompense of verse 4? Well, yes, that is what Isaiah 35 predicted, but not in the way John was expecting it. Isaiah 61 as well. Jesus refers to it when he says that that he's preaching good news to the poor. That's Isaiah 61 verse 1. And if you go read Isaiah 61, it's a lot like Isaiah 35. It speaks of the day of the Lord's vengeance. In verse 8, that that he will give them their recompense. Judgment. Just like the the judgment we read of in Malachi 3 as well. I think Jesus is very intentional in his reply to John, making reference to Isaiah 35 and 61, but, but leaving off the judgment that both predict. You know, John was expecting them both to happen together, but Jesus is correcting that expectation. Yes, they will happen, but not yet. This is a common issue when reading Old Testament prophecy to have various promises made in one passage like Isaiah 35, but to find that their fulfillment doesn't happen so closely as the verses might might imply. In other words, yes, Jesus came in fulfillment of what Isaiah predicted, healing and, and bringing good news to the poor, but what the prophets don't make exactly clear is that Jesus was going to have Two comings. One first for salvation, and later one of ultimate judgment. That is when he will bring vengeance and recompense. So in John's day, Jesus had come for salvation. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, it is written. At least not yet. First, in order that the world might be saved through him. The blessings in Jesus' ministry are breaking in, even though the judgments are delayed. And so Jesus ends his message to John in verse 6 with a, a rebuke, a mild rebuke. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's a challenge to John to re-examine his presuppositions about what the Savior would be and, and what he would do. To bring his faith into line with who this one is, Jesus. It's a call for us, too, to to challenge our presuppositions about who Jesus is, what he should do. Are you offended by Jesus because Jesus is different from what you expect? We might have a better understanding now today that, that Jesus will have two, come, two comings, but we still might have expectations of Jesus that have not yet been met. Maybe you thought when you became a Christian that, that some things would, would change. Maybe you expected that, that problem or that pain to, to go away. 
Maybe you expected as a Christian to grow more quickly or for life to be easier. Maybe you thought other people would come to see things the way that you do. Maybe after all the years of serving Him faithfully, you expected more to show for it. Maybe you're shocked at how our world is changing in a way you don't think God should have let. Or maybe your outlook on the future is oriented around an expectation of what Jesus will provide. A spouse. That career. The ideal church. I remember the first time that I was confronted with disappointment in my walk with Jesus. When what was happening in my life didn't match what I expected Jesus to do. I had a a great friend in college, Phil, a faithful evangelist, always telling people about Jesus. And he was the kind of friend who would always ask you how you're doing, pray for you on the spot, and next time he saw you, remember and ask how you were doing. He had volunteered his summer to serve as a missionary in Africa. And while he was at training in, in Colorado... He was struck in his vehicle and killed on the spot. Here was a faithful young man living for God's glory. Why would God take him? How does this kind of tragedy fit in with God's purposes? Do you think Christians can be disappointed? What do Christians do with those kinds of questions? Friends, I think John is our model here. That without hostility, he takes his questions to Jesus. In other words, we're to pray about these questions. Take them to Jesus. James tells us that you have not because you ask not. Sometimes the answer is to pray. I think it also means today that we're to talk to Jesus' people, His representatives here on earth. Saints before us have shared similar expectations and doubts. Listen to them. How they've seen those doubts resolved or how they have learned to live despite no resolution. Read His Word with those questions in mind. The, the answer for John was in God's word the whole time. He just needed understanding. Understanding that he got from Jesus. Answers for me. In light of Phil's death came from places like John 11. Romans 8. If in your life as a Christian, Jesus is not who you expect him to be. If your life is not going the way that you expected it, It might be that like John, your expectations need to be corrected. So the call for us this morning is to bring our expectations into line with who the Bible reveals Jesus to be. And what he does and does not promise to do for you and in this world. Jesus always uses these opportunities to teach So Jesus not only sends messages to John, but but he turns to the crowd here and teaches them. Let's turn to our next section in 
verses 7 through 15, our second point, Jesus is the start of something greater. Jesus is the start of something greater. He wants to make a point here to the crowds about about who John is and, and what that says about who he himself is. Look at verse 7. He asks the crowd there around him, Why did they go out in the wilderness to see John? Why is it that John drew a crowd? Did they go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? That's an idiom, a, a cultural way of talking about a teacher who vacillates like a reed in the wind. Their message shifted to fit the prevailing mood, whatever was popular in the day. No, that's certainly not why they went to see John. He was not preaching a popular message of the need for repentance, of coming judgment. Well, did they go out to see maybe a man dressed in, dressed in soft clothing, that is, fine, expensive clothing, like a king? No. John wore a garment made of camel's hair, quite the opposite. He had no wealth or splendor that anybody should be attracted to him. So in verse 9, he, he makes it clear, they went to see a prophet. You know, the last prophet in Israel's history had come hundreds of years earlier. And then silence from God, waiting. And after years of silence, God had finally sent a prophet. And not only a prophet, he says more than a prophet. In verse 10, he, he himself, John, fulfills prophecy. Jesus here in verse 10 quotes Malachi 3.1. The prediction that God would send a particular messenger to prepare the way for the coming Lord, what we read earlier in our service. Matthew has already told us at the beginning of his gospel, in Matthew 3, that John fulfills Isaiah 40 as well, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so Jesus says that no one is greater than John. John has the unique privilege of, of all prophets to being the, the forerunner of God himself. The immediate precursor of, of God coming in the incarnation of the Son. So no one greater, he says in verse 11. But as great as he is, look at the second half of verse 11. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There are a number of, of explanations for what Je Jesus might mean by that. I, I think particularly he is highlighting the contrast between the two errors. As great as John is, he is the last and best in the era of preparation. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the era of fulfillment. And this kingdom is so great that the least in it is greater than the greatest of John's era. Preparation leads to fulfillment. Jesus is bringing all that it pointed to, all that they had hoped for. I don't think John or Jesus is talking about John's salvation, but his, his place in salvation history. John and, and all the Old Testament prophets before him, yes, were saved by faith in Christ, but they belonged to the old era. Now Jesus was bringing the new. John himself says he could only baptize with water. That's the old. Jesus can baptize with the Spirit. That's the new. The least will be greater 
than John. He goes on in in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. I think here he's, he's pointing out that now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly what Jesus began preaching in Matthew 4. But, but I take verse 12 to, to mean that the kingdom is being opposed. This kingdom that Jesus is bringing in his new era is being opposed by the religious establishment. By specific violent men like, like Herod. So I think in part verse 12 is explaining why John is in Herod's prison. This new great kingdom will be opposed Don't be confused, John. The new era is not going to be accepted and celebrated by the world. It will not bring immediate judgment, but rather will suffer violence. It says Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He is sending them out as sheep among wolves. He said that they will be delivered over to courts and kings. So despite John's hopes, this new era will not be the end of opposition by evil men. Prison awaits, just like John, for even more. In verse 13, he clarifies again that that John marks the end of the era of prediction. All the prophets and the law, he said, prophesied until John. He is its end. You know, of, of those prophets, Malachi... The last Old Testament prophet predicted that Elijah would come again. Malachi 4.5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So here in Matthew 11, Jesus is telling us that John is that Elijah. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Not Elijah himself, but, but a prophet in the spirit of Elijah. As Luke 1.17 says, To those who are willing to accept it, verse 14, he is Elijah. He has the prophetic ministry like Elijah, living in the wilderness, wearing animal skins and a leather belt, calling for repentance. Well, his argument in this section, verses 7 through 15, in a nutshell is this. Yes, John is the predicted prophet who is the last of an era, but the greater is here. I bring something new, he says. It was all preparation for me and what I bring. It's all signposts to me. Jesus in his ministry will bring the new covenant in his death and resurrection. It will not be like the old. The old that constantly required prophets through the ages to come and call people back to faithfulness. Because they've abandoned it. Rather, in this new covenant, God is going to write His law on His people's hearts. He's going to finally forgive their sins. He's going to make the the final and perfect covenant. No need for any further covenants. In Jesus, the final priest, the final sacrifice, the mediator of the final covenant has come. God has spoken to us through various prophets, but now He speaks to us through His Son. Jesus is the start of something greater. 
Yes, it is built on all that has come before, but it is fundamentally new and better. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You know, the the Bible from the very beginning has been expecting one to come who would finally solve the problem of sin. Something that, that no prophet could do. In divine forbearance, God has just been passing over former sins. Since Ab and Eve, all mankind has been in rebellion against God. Every, every person, everywhere, for all time, has, has followed Satan's deceptions into, into sin. And because God is unswervingly good, He is opposed to our evil, to our greed, to our pride, to our selfishness. And now, finally, Jesus has come. Not on a a mission of condemnation, not yet, but of salvation. It is as John said, behold, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus, unlike any prophet, was fully God and fully man, without sin. He lived a perfectly righteous life in obedience to God, perfect love toward God and to neighbor. And though he uniquely deserved life, He willingly laid down that life for the sins of all those who would repent and trust in Him. That on the cross, Jesus died the death that we deserved. He died in the place of sinners, receiving the judgment that John was so eager to see brought. And now this gift of life and salvation is offered to all. This is the era of salvation. God still waiting in patience, a patience that leads us to repentance, the very repentance John was calling for. But we know, saints, that one day Jesus will come again, a second time, to bring God's vengeance and recompense. There will be a final day of judgment. What Isaiah 35 for expected, behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Yes, those who are in Christ will receive Christ's reward, eternal life, in a new heavens, a new earth. But those who refuse to receive Christ will spend eternity suffering what our sins deserve from a good God, His justice and wrath. You know, Jesus makes a big deal of John in these verses because it all points to him. Don't miss what John was because he points to me. But did you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't give the crowd specific reasons why John was in prison. He just generally says the kingdom suffers violence No, God often does not give us specific answers to our questions. Instead, in the midst of questions, He calls us to focus on who He is. Despite the circumstances, He still is, He assures the crowd, the prophesied coming King. And the same is true with us, Christian. God may not give you a specific answer, like why John is in prison, why you are in your circumstances. But still, Jesus insists in these verses, despite what you think your circumstances mean, He still is King. 
As the London preacher Charles Spurgeon said, when we cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. When what he does doesn't match our expectations, then the answer is for us to trust who he is and his love for us, even without the answers. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says. Well, the question then for us is, will the crowd hear? After all this anticipation and, as Jesus says, the the era of fulfillment and salvation, how do the crowds respond? Well, look at me in verses 16 through 19 and our third point. Jesus is rejected. Jesus is rejected. Despite the fact that John is the Elijah to come, that Jesus is the prophesied coming king, both are rejected. Jesus uses a simile there in verse 16. This generation is like children in the marketplace. No matter what they do, their playmates aren't happy. Play the flute, they don't dance. Sing a dirge, they don't mourn. The flute and and dirge here are are opposites and and neither satisfy them. Well, the, the point is that similarly, John and Jesus are opposites. John was, was ascetic, right? Fasting in the wilderness. His diet was locusts and wild honey. And how did the crowds respond to that, by and large? Well, ultimately, by rejecting him. By saying he has a demon, in verse 18. Okay, how about the opposite? Jesus did not fast. Something that surprised John, if you remember, Matthew nine fourteen. Jesus came eating and, and drinking. And, and how did they respond by and large? Well, verse 19. Calling him a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The crowds just cannot be pleased. They find to reject both of them. And Jesus says they're like stubborn children. Rejecting them both because they just don't do what they want. How foolish this generation is. Jesus came teaching as one with authority. He came granting the forgiveness of sins confirmed by his miracles. Healing the sick, raising the dead in fulfillment of prophecy. He is the expected one. But they reject him based on his diet. They malign him, calling him friend of tax collector. And sinners. But what comfort to those who have ears to hear. Jesus is friend to tax collectors and sinners. He came granting the forgiveness of sins. To those who deserve God's vengeance. Jesus offers vindication by faith. So here is another way to deal with unmet expectations. To reject Jesus. To insist like a child on your own way. If Jesus doesn't conform to your expectations, then just throw him out. And that reveals pride. Exalting your own expectations over God's truth. When confronted and corrected to reject rather than receive. If you're joining us this morning and you're not a Christian, thank you 
for being with us? I wonder if you've ever thought of it that way, that you are rejecting Jesus. Wonder, what, what about Jesus offends your sensibilities? What about Jesus does not meet your expectations? Maybe He hasn't proved Himself to your standards. Or you find His morals to be too restrictive. I would encourage you to consider, with, with the Christians here as well, if God is real, He will contradict you. He will not meet all the expectations that you have. Because the alternative is a predictable God who is exactly like us. And a God like that, in other words, is not a God. Don't reject God because He doesn't meet your expectations. Know for certain that if God is, He must not be like you or me. He will not be what we expect. Christians, this is an opportunity for us to consider why is it? How is it that we came to not reject this God? We are all born rejecting His rule, preferring ourselves and our sin over Him. So this passage reminds us that like every one of, of our generation as well, we would reject God were it not for His grace. What makes you and I differ is not our superior morality or wisdom or lovability. No, it's a miracle that anyone accepts Jesus at all. What makes you and I differ is not in us, but in God. God chose us and by His grace gave us life in Christ. It's just like Jesus, who gave physical sight to the blind, giving spiritual sight to us. Jesus, who gave physical life to the dead, giving spiritual life to us. Friends, without God's gracious act, we would remain blind and dead as we were born, rejecting Him as, as everyone else does. But He loved us and opened our eyes and gave us life that we would see and receive Jesus for who He is, whatever we were expecting. So when we see in these verses everyone else rejecting Jesus, the Christian must humbly give praise to God that we see Him for who He is. This is His gift to us by grace, not by our own works. So, Christian, when you share the gospel with others and they reject it, don't hold your nose up to them. Don't despair either. We plant, others water, God gives the growth. Continue to pray and trust. Know that God continues in, in our day to give sight and life all miracles by His grace. And our call is to continue to love and explain the good news of Jesus even as the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It's exactly as Jesus concludes in verse 19. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. What is wise will be proven by its fruit, its, its result. We don't judge the veracity of the gospel by others' rejection of it. 
No, rather, we look to see that Jesus, who lived a righteous life, was vindicated by God raising him from the dead. No one else, not not Buddha, not Muhammad, can claim such vindication of their wisdom. Only one man rose from the dead by the power of God to vindicate all that he said and taught. And what is rejected as foolish by our world is the wisdom of God justified by his deeds. Friends, Jesus is bringing a new kingdom of heaven, the fulfillment of all we could hope for. Peace with God forever. The end of suffering and sin. After 10,000 years, we will have no less days to sing God's praise. Jesus died my soul to save. Our lips shall still repeat. So, brothers and sisters, be prepared for disappointments in life. And even if you never have answers you're looking for, know that God is bringing His kingdom exactly as He has promised. Brothers and sisters, despite doubts, receive Jesus as the prophesied coming King. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for fulfilling all that you have promised Lord, you send not only the messenger to prepare the way of the Lord, but to bring fulfillment to all the hopes of all the promises of your word. That in Jesus Christ, we have salvation from sin. Lord, in the final prophet, in the final priest, in the final sacrifice, we have the final and perfect new covenant, salvation for our souls. Lord, we look forward to the day when Christ will come again in judgment. Lord, that all souls will be met before Him to receive the promises. Lord, that those who have received Jesus Christ by Your grace, eternal life. Those who in the blindness and death of sin, eternal judgment. Father, we pray that that despite whatever disappointment life may bring, that we will trust that Jesus is who He says He is when we cannot trace His hand, that we will trust His heart. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen.